0: Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Theology in the Raw. I have on the show today one of the most delightful human beings that I know, Tony Scarcello. He's a pastor, he's a speaker, he's a writer. He just published his first book called Regenerate, Following Jesus After Deconstruction that I highly recommend. He was on the podcast about a year ago talking about the book, and it's just, uh, it's one of those books that's really hard to put down Down, If you or anybody you know is wrestling with some kind of deconstruction in their faith journey, I highly recommend this book. In this episode, we do talk about the book a little bit at the beginning, but we mainly focus on the new Netflix documentary, Pray Away. Uh, We look at the pros and the cons of this documentary and uh, discuss all things related to reparative or conversion or ex-gay therapy, and uh, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Speaking of sexuality, faith, and gender, uh, we are going to have a Faith, Sexuality, and Gender conference here in Boise October 20th to the 21st. encourage you, if you can, Grab a plane flight and get out here to Boise. It's an amazing town. Uh, you only have to spend one night. You can we'll, we'll get you out of here before uh, four o'clock. You can jump on the next plane flight home, or we are live streaming the event as well. So uh, if you can't come out here or you don't want to uh, sit in, <laughs> um, sit in, the, sit in the audience. Um, consider live streaming it with you just, I mean, just as an individual or with a a team of leaders or a discipleship group or a Bible study you're involved in um, would encourage you to check that out. You can go to centerforfaith.com forward slash events to get all the info on that event. Um, Also, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Theology the Raw. Support the show for as little as five bucks a month to get access to premium content once a month, uh, Patreon-only blogs and podcasts and interactions throughout the week. Uh, So again, all the information is in the show notes. All right, without further ado, let's dive into Netflix's Pray Away with the one and only Tony Scarcello. All right, friends, welcome back to another episode of Theology and Raw. I'm here with my good friend Tony Scarsella. Tony, how are you doing on this early morning?
1: <laughs> it's been freaking sprinkle. Only you can get me up at 530 in the morning on a Thursday or on a. What day is today? See, that's how we're. Tuesday. 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 Morning, so. Yeah, it feels like
0: Monday night, right? <laughs> Tuesday morning, early morning. Um, well, I had a, I had a, a busy uh, day podcasting scheduled. Um, but you reached out and said, "Hey, we should talk about this Netflix film, Pray it away. Away." Um, and I was like, "Dude, we totally need to talk about it. Can we do it early on Tuesday morning? Because I we need to do this soon because it's uh, I think a lot of people are talking about it." Um, yeah, but,
1: it's real now. it's yeah. all hyped. So first of the all, before we
0: do. jump in, you uh, it's been about a year now since you came out with your book. Uh, do you want to tell us how that is doing and um, how the reception's been? Because I mean, I, I I endorsed the book and it, it was it's an incredible book and I and I I've said that offline so you know I'm not just saying it to because you're here in front of me it is it is such a great book on deconstruction reconstruction something I know a lot of people are going through so yeah uh, what's the snapshot blurb about the book and how's it, it been going
1: yeah thank you um it, it's good like I one thing I didn't anticipate with it and I guess I should have is
0: oh real um, quick real quick the have, name it's regenerate regenerate
1: Generate following Jesus after deconstruction, yeah. um, and and the pro and, and people don't know like we record an episode on it a while ago, but like it's it's essentially my journey of growing up in a faith, losing a faith, coming back to the faith. Um, what I wasn't anticipating when the book came out was how many, how frequently I was going to be the first time I would hear about people's own stories with their struggles with their sexuality. So I that that i mean that's a major part of my book is my story with my sexual orientation and coming to grips with my sexual identity but i mean i wanted the not even i wanted but at the time i thought the focus was like going to be just navigating this crisis of faith and coming back to the faith and um but what people really seem to cling to was uh the first half of the book which is just me realizing when i first discovered this about myself and um the kind of turmoil i went through and growing up in a church landscape that didn't know how to help people with this very well. And, um, and so, yeah, I've gotten to be on probably probably 30 or 40 Skype calls or zoom calls of people just like, Hey, like husband and wife sitting in front of me, like we're the only ones who know and, or you're the first person I'm telling this or um, I've been, yeah. And most of the time, like I, I I kind of, because I'm a pastor and I have, I have my own people that I, I need to, kind of care for and exert my, like, energy to. And I, I am not, like, a super high energy, high, don't have a whole lot of emotional margin anyway. So usually, like, it tends to be a one-and-done kind of conversation. I'll, I'll, I'll meet with them. I'll probably send them everything you've ever, ever written and ever released and, like, send them a... <laughs> lead them to david bennett and then just kind of go on my way um but every once in a while there's i just i do feel a tug where there right now there's a young man that i've been talking with who who nobody knows except for one of his really close friends and he lives across the country and um and you just feel like oh gosh like if 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 he doesn't have anybody who knows the story like that's some scary territory so Hmm. yeah Hmm. it's been A privilege, like it's a privileged position to, because I remember the first time I ever said that. It was the most terrifying moment of my life. Say, like I am not straight, like this, and I haven't been since I was 11 years old. So,
0: yeah, that that's Uh, that's 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 awesome. I mean, that's crazy awesome. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The but I mean, so so I would say, yeah, your sexual orientation and your journey is is a major thread in the book, but also even if you just are going through some kind of deconstruction whatever it is or just yeah hitting your head up against your own faith you know what on whatever whatever level i feel like you navigated those waters well and in, in that you 100% understand where people are coming from but i think you you helped them reconstruct in a really healthy way cuz that's the biggest question i often get is you know, uh, I get the deconstruction journey. <laughs> you know, um, how do we reconstruct in a healthy way where we don't just get off the rails? You know, and just live with inability to forgive and bitterness and trauma and hurt and all this stuff because that's not that's not healthy either. You know, um,
1: yeah. how do we how do we become enchanted with scripture and Jesus again? Like right. that's a deal. And I'm I'm a Pentecostal, so like an enchanted worldview kind of comes with the territory and. <laughs> So, Like I, uh, yeah, and and I know like the thing that my book is like, it is at this point like it's a drop in the sea of a bunch of books that have been released about deconstruction or reconstruction. Um, so it makes sense that like that would be the piece mm-hmm. that's, you know, for most people. Like um, our our mutual friend A. J. Swoboda, he yeah. released a book on the same subject yeah. uh, shortly after I released mine, and I almost stopped writing mine when I found out he was writing <laughs> this. and But like he said this to me and I, and I see the value in it now It's like the, my story is like the main piece of it. It's not my ability necessarily to think through this, but to just spot God's redemptive perspective on my journey. And, um, so yeah, it's been such an honor. And the, the publishers reached out to me if I wanted to write a second book, they said that they're, they're down to publish it. And so we'll see what happens. I don't know. (laughs) Awesome.
0: Awesome. Um, I know Brian's on, I think is working on something too. um, I think along the same lines. I don't know if I should say that publicly. Sorry Brian if that's not public, but <laughs>
1: uh, it's it's already
0: released it for pre-order and stuff. Oh, it is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. yeah. Um all right, well let's jump into the Netflix documentary. Um so uh why don't I I'll just jump in, summarize uh just the gist of it in case people don't know what even what it is. So Netflix Well, you you should probably fill in some gaps here cuz you, you you know more about the details than I do, but yeah, long story short Netflix released a documentary called Pray Away. It um, uh, addresses, and I would say exposes, um, the uh, dangers and harm that's been done uh, through so-called ex-gay reparative therapy or conversion therapy practices, mainly through Exodus International, which began, I believe, back in the late 70s and closed its doors in 2013. And um, i of several people in the documentary were higher high ups in 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 the movement i think one of the founders um yeah. who started it but then later went back to uh, what language were you use here cuz i don't like the gay lifestyle or whatever but like <laughs> he was saying
1: he was saying xx X
0: gay xx X gay okay yeah so he ended up yeah um embracing his sexual orientation um And several people that they were high ups there, which was that that was fascinating. You know, hearing their story and them talking through how they used to believe, and even there lots of footage of them giving talks and all this stuff, and then them reflecting on that. And you could tell they're like, "Yeah, I don't believe any of this anymore." Um, And um, yeah, so it's fast. And then um, yeah, so that that's the gist of of the documentary. Um, What are some yeah more just kind of nuts and bolts thing nuts and bolts aspects of the it documentary mainly, that need to be filled in.
1: Yeah, it kind of traces the story of um what the movie is projecting as kind of like a leader in the new ex-gay movement. So a guy named I think his name is Jeffrey. So so he's right. kind of like his story kind of runs parallel with the story of the founder of the X International. Well the founder um oh did I lose you? Uh just a nope, tiny right. glitch. Uh right. the founder and then um, Yeah, Um, yeah. So like the it kind of traces that guy. Uh, I think important to note is um, the guy who's kind of like spearheading this movie is a guy named Ryan Murphy. And if you've seen shows like Glee or American Horror Story, or I mean, throw a rock and you're going to hit something that this guy's produced. He's Hmm. probably the most powerful, influential gay man in Hollywood. Wow. So when I heard this movie was coming out, like I had my dukes up because he's not. His, his stuff is kind of trash. And I, if you like Glee or American Horror Story, I'm sorry to like <laughs> crap on my like, stuff that you like, but it's usually really just trashy, unnuanced, um, kind of gross stuff. And yeah. um, so I was expecting this to just be like, and, well, the Gospel Coalition wrote an article saying this is very anti-Christian movie. Yeah. And so I was honestly caught off guard because I didn't get that from it really at all. Mm. Like that it was an anti-Christian mm. movie. Like um, I think that, and part of the reason I wanted to reach out to you, I think that it points out problems that a lot of people in the church would agree are problems. I think the solutions it offers is where you and I would disagree with where the movie goes, but the problems it points out, I think most mm. of us can be like, "Yeah, that's we agree. That was not good. That was actually
0: bad." So right, right, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, Tony. I in did you go through any kind of ex-gay kind of therapy? Like, like did this unearth some of your own? experiences or
1: oh dude yeah yeah (laughs) so i i didn't we didn't frame it that way when it was happening but um when i yeah when i kind of shared my story at excuse me the church that i was working at at the time and i got let go they had me see a counselor um and the hope was that after seeing this counselor for a year i would be reinstated to a leadership position um and it 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 was before the documentary that I realized what was going on. There was like a form of reparative therapy, but we would like try and trace back family traumas, try and trace back like any parent issues and, Oh, well you had a mom who was a drug addict. So maybe that means you just felt safer with men and, um, and then go through like prayers and practices to kind of reconfigure my heart and mind to not be attracted to the same sex anymore. Um, And this actually is maybe a little bit where I take umbrage with the movie is that it doesn't do a whole lot to tell you exactly why reparative therapy can be damaging it just assumes that we already know like it's uh. and it kind of assumes we're all on the same page this is bad I have a lot of people in my life who are not on that page like who, <laughs> who still see like a, a use for it and and would advocate for it and so as I was watching I was like yeah but they're not really doing a lot to talk about how like after every session, like, you walk away and, like, I would go throw up in the bathroom stall because, like, the thoughts that would be running through my mind is, like, they're trying to, like, rip something out of me that's never going to come out as much as I want it to. And, um, and the, the visceral, like, implied message there is that, like, God made you wrong, so he needs to fix you. Um, and if he doesn't fix you, then it might be a judgment on you or you're doing something wrong on your part. When when really that's, I mean, as Jackie Hill Perry she says, all the sexuality it's holiness, and so you're trying to like make the the solution everybody needs to be hetero, and maybe that's if that's not God's ideal for that person or their dream for that person, right? Um, then you're just right. gonna keep hurting them. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, would you say that that would be one of the main damaging pieces is that until you cultivate heterosexual attractions. There's still something very much off in in you as a person, and you can't you yeah. can't live out a faithful life towards Jesus fully until that's repaired. Is that
1: yeah? And it lacks a, a, a biblical anthropology of people and a biblical ecclesiology. Uh-huh. At one point, John Polk, he says in the movie like the entire christian he literally says the entire christian church is based on being married and having a family right, i remember that and that right there that's like um i thought it was based on jesus and his resurrection and like apprenticing under his way and living it out here on earth right but no because no, that's the right. the not even implicit message. messages oftentimes the explicit message that yeah. unless you have kids and have to get married like you aren't really walking with Jesus. There's something right. wrong with you. Never mind that Jesus never got married and Paul wasn't married. Right, like, right, right. right.
0: You know what's yeah. interesting with that? Because when he said that, I was like 100%, and I've said this many, many times on the podcast and my writing and stuff, just this uh, idolatry of marriage um, that exists in the church. What's What's fascinating is that the climactic moment in the film itself was a marriage. <laughs> Like the whole the whole underlying journey was, they f- it <laughs> a same sex marriage right? Um, and, and and I don't think that's quite the exact same thing, but it is interesting that finding love, um, living out your true sexual sexuality that's culminating in marriage, still ended up being there. You know, so I don't I don't know if the film while disparaging that kind of idolatry of marriage. I don't know. I think they almost in a roundabout way repeated that. And this is something that I've, that I've said in response to some of the arguments against a traditional sexual ethic is that, you know, when people say, well, wait a minute, if, if somebody doesn't marry some, can't marry somebody that they desire to, that they have sexual attractions towards, then they're, they can't function. Like they're, they're, they're going to be suicidal. They're not going to be able to live out their full humanity. And it's almost like it's the same rhetoric that they're almost borrowing from the idolatry of marriage that is widespread in the conservative church. They wouldn't call it that. And then when I, you know, they don't see it that way, but it's like, well, I, it sounds very similar. Like you can't be fully complete until you marry the person you desire. Like how, how that, it just seems like you're borrowing the same categories from traditional evangelicalism have you thought did you catch that at all or do, do you have any thoughts on that or um
1: a hundred percent i well i didn't catch that the irony of the the film ending in a marriage but i think um i don't think the movie is at all interested in the genuine mission and purpose of the church but, um, Yeah, I know. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like i i it, i wouldn't even i think i was honestly surprised that, that john's like comment about that made it into the movie okay. um, because okay. it is sort of a detractor from what XX gay people are now pushing towards
0: anyways. Right. John's John's the Jack Black looking guy, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. He did look like you said that earlier. I thought it was cool.
0: Jack Black for a while. Oh, like, right? Wow. I didn't know he. Yeah. Um, yeah. He looked awesome. He looked really cool in his later years. Yeah, Yeah. He, <laughs> he did, aged did look- better. <laughs>
1: up as they would
0: say <laughs> yeah. I, I thought he was gonna bust out school of rock right um um okay so so what so why don't you so maybe sum up what you see as some positive things with the film and then we'll get to some maybe some critiques and and yeah just, I just want to repeat what you said like and this is it's not of course it's not a Christian film um of course it's not gonna like the the fact that I didn't read the Gospel coalition critique but it, you know this attacked Christianity I'm like it's it's a film produced by Babylon that exiled us. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Like I know that that kind of faith, that that church and culture kind of framework. I'm like I'm yawning. like, well, what do you? It's Netflix. Like, what would you expect? And, and like you said, I was surprised at how many opportunities it could have taken to actually attack the church, and it, it didn't feel that explicit. I mean, it anyway. Um, yeah, it's not a Christian film. Um, so yeah, what, what are some positive? Maybe sum yeah. up, because you've already kind of hit on some of them. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well, I'll, there's two that come to mind instantly. Um, I know that uh, the, the the gentleman, I almost said the character. This is a documentary. The gentleman, Jeffrey, um, that kind of anti-trans yeah. person that the movie bookends itself with. Right. Um, he, they, he seemed to have a really genuine, kind, and tender heart towards people. And, like, I mean, my wife and I were watching it, and she was just like, oh, I love him. I want to be his friend. And I'm like... And they they could have picked a crazy person because they're, they're out there and they could have picked like a crazy mean-spirited like yeah. person and yeah. he he just was really he's not who I would have picked to represent my worldview and I don't think he he does in a lot of ways represent my worldview but he was a really humanized gentle compassionate person and yeah. I appreciated yeah. that because okay. it would have been opportunity to turn this into propaganda if um but the other thing is that at the end there's they kind of follow this this lady named Julie, who's the person who gets married at the end of the movie. And she has this line where she says, like, my, my core task in my life has been to separate Jesus from the people that hurt me.
0: Yeah, And
1: yeah. that, I almost, like, started tearing up in that moment mm-hmm. because totally unexpected for a Netflix movie, again, made by the guy who I said was making this movie. And it really moved me because I do feel like for people with stories similar to mine and hers, that does feel like the core task is how do I faithfully follow Jesus without projecting onto him all of this crap that other people have spewed onto me in his name? And wow. so I, really, I thought those two things were really powerful. They could have, I don't think there was a single person on there who said, I'm done with God, I hate church, I'm never going back. Like even like even if they're, they were there, they didn't include that in the documentary. And so to me, like, even though it's, it's certainly like a more progressive, like Christianity that I'm comfortable with. And and you can have the whole argument of that. Is that better than not going to church? That's a whole nother argument. But to me, the fact that they were like, maybe there is something here worth salvaging and, and contending for Mm -hmm. in spite of all the pain and trauma. Like that's, that's deep in my heart that, that I resonate
0: with. That is because they, they, but that one line from Julie separates Jesus from, aberrations within Christianity. Yeah. Like that's, that's yeah. We, but that I would echo that same line over and over again, that, that church hurt uh, misguided Christian attempts at whatever. Um, that's not Jesus, you know, um, that, that's, an, that's followers of Jesus, not following Jesus the way they should. Um, mm-hmm. do, do you think they represented X gay, the ex gay movement? Well, from, from what you know about it um, i don 't know enough. I mean, I got into this conversation literally the year Exodus closed down. I had heard about Exodus before, but i didn't I did not live through it all you know so I, 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 and because my ministry has been separated from that kind of approach i it's not i i don 't know all I know is loads of stories from my friends that they tell me, you know which are some are some are better than others, uh, most of them are pretty eerie. <laughs> Yeah, some are downright bizarre and disturbing. Um, yeah, about what they went through in X K therapy. Yeah, I think
1: they honestly, honestly, Preston. I think they were more charitable than they needed to be. Mm, like, wow, they they really were. Um, I think all of them at the end of the movie said these people think they're helping people. They think they're doing yeah. the right. Thing. And yeah, and they didn't call a single one of them a villain. Like, and they could have taken shots at at John Polk's ex wife, like because yeah. she. She hasn't always had the most helpful perspective on this stuff either. And so like, but they didn't like, they, they really just, so I I feel like if I were making this movie, I probably would have been more critical. Um, and it, you know, like, I don't know if you noticed this in the movie, but I definitely noticed this with people who I had met, um, who claimed to be like ex gay and fixed and, um, there's almost like this, like dead eyes, like just this hmm. lifeless expression behind their face that just isn't full of life. Like something in them is, hmm. is dead that maybe shouldn't be dead. And um, and I, every person like that, especially John Polk, and I think the guy's name was Randy, who was running it near the end. Um, when you see them get up there and speak, like they just look, look lifeless. And the one guy who didn't look lifeless ended up being the who once he heard people's stories was like, yeah, we got to shut this thing down. Mm. So that, to me, like that, that speaks to something of, again, like a bad biblical anthropology that like this, maybe it wasn't God's design that everybody function in this, this way that, sorry, dude, one second, our
0: garbage. Can you hear the
1: garbage? Oh, it's fine.
0: Keep going. Yeah. I could barely hear it.
1: <laughs> okay. um, Yeah. Like it, it, it seems biblical and rational to me to believe that like, there can be such a thing as mixed orientation marriages mm-hmm. or like shocker shocker, like maybe the Lord really just does want some people to be single and that's okay. And that's right. a a blessing in and of itself with its own set of challenges. But like why do you think Paul contends against marriage <laughs> like in First Corinthians seven? Please don't get married. I would rather you didn't. Like yeah. we just don't have an idea for that in the American
0: church. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I I, I from my more limited knowledge, I I think they could have taken more pot shots and especially at the end when they did i think it was julie um who said like the motivation like she was she was saying they're they're well-intending like these are not monsters these are not like they truly believe they're doing something good you know Um, i thought that was more than they had to say you know like i thought that was really good and and i so i um i should i say on the air like i've i've known julie in the past i've spoken with her on stage we we spoke in um i think portland or oregon together after she had changed her view um so i've known her before and after i haven't kept up with her i mean we we, i don't claim to be like friends with her as if we we keep up but have talked with her on several occasions and she's just she's a delightful delightful person Mm. um both before and after her, her shift in view um and, yeah, I, I thought she – everything in the – because the film, you know, I'm sure, you know, you, as you know, you know, what came out on the documentary is probably 5% of the footage they had. So they're handpicking things, and we'll get to this in a second, that ends up building a story and a narrative. That's just what film does. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a completely neutral journalistic just survey of, you know – they are, they, there is a narrative focus and intention there that I don't fault, but it's, it's, I think it's important to recognize if I made a documentary, which I've done documentaries, yeah. dear church, I'm gay. We, we did a short documentary and I got critique for the same thing. How come you have all these, everybody there, you know, is like side B or believes in a nutritional ethic, which isn't true. There, we did have one of the five was not a Christian, Um mm-hmm. but, Oh, there's no affirming Christians. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm building a narrative too. You know, I'm, I'm telling stories that I think the church needs to hear and you don't hear enough in the world. So that's, yeah, there's an underlying narrative there. So I, so again, I don't fault them for that, but I do want people to recognize that there is a narrative being built here. All that to say, I, I thought um, from what I have known about Julie and how the film portrayed her, I thought that was really good. Like I think um, she's just, she's, she's awesome. She's great. Obviously we disagree on a serious issue, but I think she's, um, yeah, I'm glad they, I'm glad they picked her (laughs) and maybe not somebody else that would have been maybe way more, um, uh, yeah. Attacking of the church, um, or even the people in X game industries.
1: What what, was there? Other things that you like specifically liked about the movie that that you were really glad they highlighted on, or that maybe you didn't know before you watched it?
0: Yeah, um, let me. Oh man, there was. I didn't have a lot of um, a lot going into expectations, so uh, yeah, I thought it it seemed to accurately portray what many of my friends have told me about some of these ministries, and again, I felt like. It was more mild than some of the things I heard. I mean, I've heard some downright disturbing things that have gone on. Um, I can't repeat them because I think the people that told me are were under oath not to repeat what goes on, which tells you that that's like, wow, why? (laughs) You know? Um, So the stuff that even when they showed like a a Joseph Nicolosi in in counseling sessions and stuff, even that I'm like, and there were some extended kind of like uh recordings of counseling sessions and I was like that doesn't seem that bad in the yeah, I, that was my thought too really yeah. okay I, I'm I'm hesitating how I say because I'm like people I don't want to open a wound to somebody who's gone through those sessions and say no it's actually horrible you have no clue. I, so I'm not I don't want to diminish people but based on what they were saying I, I didn't yeah, it didn't seem like. <laughs> I mean, it's sad that one that one scene with that guy just crying, and crying, and feels so broken. And I think he was saying like, "How does it feel to be broke? How does it feel to be broken in front of me?" And but even like they even kept the part where he's like, "I like it was his real positive affirmation of, or maybe a positive affirmation of his humanity." Um exactly. I don't see you that way. I still How does it feel that I still love you even though you feel broken or something like that? I'm like that could be a lot worse. <laughs> I don't know if I'd take that exact approach.
1: <laughs> Everybody should have one of those moments. What's that? Everybody should have one of those moments gay or not. Like Right. That,
0: yeah. Having somebody
1: yeah. I agree. It, it felt like if I mean and maybe this is maybe more of like a, an issue with the filmmaking but it felt like guys, conversion therapy is bad and, and restored hope still exists. So let's make a movie about it. Like <laughs> without really going into a whole lot of like, yeah, I mean, I I, I, I can say some stuff that we did in conversion therapy that, that was like, well, I mean, yeah, whatever
0: you like, want to share, dude. I mean, I don't want to <laughs> at this point, what, whatever
1: <laughs> Like, so, I've shared a lot. Um, I, uh, I had the, 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 one of my counselors, I had a couple and one of them, um, would have me like every time I try, every time I started having a like lustful or sexual thought towards someone of the same sex, they wanted me to try and imagine that every time I engage one of those thoughts, I'm doing another whip on Christ's body. Like, and then imagine that I have a whip in my hand and that I'm lashing his body up and like stuff like that. So like that's, and to me, I think, like you, I've heard much worse stories than that. And, like, so that's pretty tame, but, like, that really messes with you. Like, and you start to get a complex about, like, how is it even possible that, like, if, if my imagination of Christ is of me torturing him, how is it even possible to me to have an imagination that he would love me and accept me and want me? Mm-hmm. And so, like, s- stuff like that that the movie seems to kind of gloss over that I almost wish they, mm-hmm. or at the end of the movie, they give that like kids who, who go through conversion therapy are two times as likely to attempt suicide. Yeah, And that feels like an awfully weird footnote to put at the end of your movie. It feels like you should explore that a little more. Right.
0: Yeah. I, I thought that that percentage would have been higher. That's almost like they caught, they probably could have found cause you know, stats are there's always a study that somewhere. So I, I, I thought they would have said like 10 times higher or something, but that's, um, yeah, I I haven't done. I don't know the exact numbers on that, but I I also thought, um, oh oh, for me to your point, I that part towards the end when Julie was, you know, she's in the middle of writing a book and she was reading to her her her. I think they were already married at that time. Her wife, um, reading about her past when she was self harming, like burning red hot quarters into her flesh. Yeah, because she was so angry at how sinful she was for simply experiencing same-sex attraction that this was not going away. And as she said, and I know this from Julie, she was a good, teen, good kid, happy, uh, did not get into trouble. Like she was a good, good Christian teen, <laughs> which in this day and age is like you can find f- thousands, millions of billions of (laughs) teenagers (laughs) if you added up the kind of sin quota they would be far beyond where julia you know so that then to hear her describe how much she hated her physical body and was burning quarters into it as sort of this self-atoning affliction because her her ssa was not going away that i don't know anybody and even even if there's people that are pro-reparative therapy or maybe a, the kind of neo-versions of it today. I'm sure there's some listening. And, like, hopefully, and you probably hate most of this podcast, but hopefully though, there are some scenes like that where you can – I don't know anybody <laughs> that can listen to that and not be moved, you know, in a healthy way. Like, wow, that that's – Whatever's causing somebody to do that, that's not good.
1: Dude, that part was – was emotional for me the moment I mean, because I did I mean self-harm and all that stuff was a big part of my story as well mm-hmm. and I didn't even think about it until she said like two things she said looking back at old journals I was always asking God to forgive me and change me and she had this line of just like oh repenting of my flesh is yeah. a line she would say in her journals and then she said yeah I was a really good kid in high school and Like I just immediately went back to, I was like, I was a good kid in middle school and had a couple freshman sophomore years. I was a rough kid, but then junior, senior year. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I was like the golden boy in my youth group and an intern at my church and a youth pastor at 19. And like, like, there's no reason for that kid to hate himself and think that he's like deplorable in the eyes of Christ in the world. Unless you're being taught that, like, unless you're being told that that's, that's what you need to, to think of yourself. Mm -hmm. We don't, they didn't talk about this in the movie, but we don't really like get honest about temptations in church. Hmm. Um, Like I, I think I just sort of assume most people are tempted by things that they would never want anyone to know they're tempted by. But I wonder if that's where like the Catholics get it right with the practice of confession. Like I see, I had that thought all the time growing up. Like if I could just talk to somebody who wasn't allowed to like tell other people and wasn't allowed to like, um, follow up with me about it, but like could just speak the forgiveness of Christ over me. Like that would have been life changing um, as a kid. And mm-hmm. yeah. And I, we just, and, and you hear John, his story was tragic to me of him saying, happened to lie that he yeah. wasn't even tempted by sexuality. Like yeah. that he said, if I were to say, like, cause he said, I was happy. I was married. I had kids, but if I told him I was tempted by this, I, I would have lost yeah. everything. And it's like, that's, maybe if he was allowed to say he was tempted by it, he wouldn't have lost everything. Like he maybe wouldn't have gone to that that nightclub. And
0: do you think yeah. that's where some of the strictness and lies of, and I'll just say some or many branches of the X K narrative that he went through? You know, where do you think that has caused some of these people to just kind of totally jump ship and and leave their families and go go back to? you know, um, living out their orientation? Because that, that, if you're not even allowed to say, no, I still wrestle with this. Absolutely. Every day I, I have to bring it to the cross and sometimes I mess up and I need the church to come around me and, and help me, you know. The fact that you don't have even have that kind of outlet, I just, I just envision, envision this pressure cooker that's going to blow at some point. Yeah. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, how can it not? And then you <laughs> add, add to the fact that this guy's job is to propagate that narrative. So yeah. that's different yeah. than just the dude who's attending church with his wife and wondering why Mm -hmm. getting married didn't make him straight. Like this is the, this guy is, he is the spokesperson for Mm -hmm. the movement. Um, Mm -hmm. so I, yeah. And the the fact that he and the founder, uh, Michael Bussey, like, are both like actively gay in relationships or marriages, um, not involved with church, like says a lot about how we know how to handle people's, Temptations. So, should, so they're no think.
0: longer Christians, right? Both those guys. Do You know,
1: I—that's I, the impression that I got. Okay.
0: Yeah. Even that's with the film. They—they they could have really taken a shot at the church by mm-hmm. by making that more front and center. That this is what Christianity does, and now they're free and happy that they left religion. Like, they, but they didn't. It seems like yeah. they had that opportunity. and didn't take it. They, they again, they didn't bring in kind of their faith journey through it all. Yeah. Um. I have a question. This, this is kind of a bridge question between the pros and the cons, so we can kind of start thinking about the cons. Um, when it comes to reparative therapy, and this is something – and I hate our culture that you're not even allowed to kind of talk out loud or ask questions for fear of, you know, this kind of self-censoring, you know, somebody might not like what you're implying or whatever. But here, here's my – and I basically I can care less about all that. <laughs> um, uh S- are some aspects of what goes on in so-called reparative therapy helpful? Here, here's, my, here's my question. Um, I think loads of people, gay, straight, bi, asexual, whatever, um, could use a good dose of dealing with stuff in the past that hasn't been dealt with. Um, examining areas of trauma that's been calloused over, um, especially—I mean, twenty to thirty percent of f- females have been sexually abused. A large percentage have not dealt with that in a healthy way. Uh, I think ten to twenty percent of men, males, um, have been sexually abused. Um, why are teen anxiety rates, depression rates, suicide rates off the chart? Like, I—my j- my question is. I know reparative therapy gets kind of critiqued of oh unearthing all this something in the past, you know. And I get that. I I I disagree with the motivation that if you're same-sex attracted, it must be linked to something in the past. But my question is, could be, or or could could there not be? And let me reframe that. I'm not saying that that's ever the sole cause, um, but I agree with the American Psychological Association that sexual orientation is a complex blend of nature and nurture. It's hard to unravel that. There's probably always some biological propensity that maybe has been nurtured by some environmental thing, and and it's impossible to sort all that out. And that's something that virtually everybody agrees on today, complex blend of of both. Um, It just seems like whatever your story, it can be good to heal from past trauma or different re- parent parental relationships or whatever. Maybe you did have a domineering dad and <laughs> or domineering mom and absent. Like, I just don't want to throw the entire baby out with the bathwater because, Oh, but that's what reparative therapy people do. You know, you know what I'm asking? And, and, and what are your thoughts on that? And how do you, how do we go about that without repeating the p- past of, of, wrong-headed ex-gay stuff
1: well i think the the redemptive parts of reparative therapy are when you remove the word reparative it's just therapy okay and like <laughs> to me like that That. yeah like there's okay. i i i would be a fool to say that like maybe i wouldn't be a fool to say this but like I, I it doesn't seem like that much of a stretch for me to be like well yeah my mom was a drug addict from the time i was 12 until i was 20 when she died of an overdose so like maybe, and then I, I had a a couple, one girlfriend who was, needed help, like literally needed like psychological help, like in all that, and then we were together for three years, and so like, it it, it doesn't seem like that much of a stretch to be like, that. there's not the most positive feminine voices in Tony's life, and my dad is insanely tender and nurturing, and like Mm. real dance man, like construction worker my whole life, but like kisses and hugs, and I love yous all the time, and so he was always the safest place in the world for me. So like I could see somebody spinning and I've heard it, people spinning my story to say, well, that's why you feel that way, Tony. And, um, and my point is like, I don't really care about why, because it doesn't change the fact that it is what it is. And like to, to insist that somebody has to, or even can on their own will just remove this or, that it is God's will for that to be taken away for sure. I'm not saying that like God can't or doesn't even occasionally. I'm, I don't think I've ever heard a story where I wasn't suspicious. Like <laughs> I, he can, like he can, and he can do whatever he wants. He's he's a free God. But yeah. I, I just yeah, that's where I'm like I think that every I think everybody should do therapy. I think everybody yeah. should figure out the thing beneath the thing and why they do what they do. Um, but I don't. Therapy with the intent of fixing a specific issue, yeah. Regardless of the issue, like, does it, therapy can't have a preferred outcome, or else it won't work.
0: That's it. That's exactly what I was. That's as the I was even thinking, formulating my question. It's 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 the difference is it's it's healing from all this past stuff, which might be legitimate, so that you, you're no longer attracted to the same sex. And if that outcome isn't achieved, then you haven't truly healed. And that's that's basically the. The 100%. underlying problem. Okay, yeah, that's helpful. Um, all right, let, let's let's uh, let's transition to some uh, cons. What what are your? Uh, do you have any problems or pushbacks or? Uh, uh, yeah, cons you guys with them.
1: Like the the center's article um, about beware fa- beware of false dichotomies. That that was the whole reason I I reached out and was like, let's talk about this because right. if they had interviewed Jackie Hill Perry or David Bennett. Or you yeah. and like presented yeah. like advocates of side B LGBTQ Christians like to me it would have been a documentary worth really wrestling with mm. like a real like it really looking to dive deep into what are the options for queer Christians um this really just wanted you and like and I this might be why they don't they don't dive into the theology of Christian sexuality once, like they don't like, like, again, the only non-affirming gay Christians in the movie wouldn't call themselves gay. They would be ex-gay or ex-trans. Um, so to me like that, that was like a big weak point. I was just like this, this is just propagating a a narrative that, that makes people like me and a lot of friends of mine who are occupying non-affirming church spaces and committed to orthodoxy like it makes me feel more at risk (laughs) because Mm. because it's it's Mm. setting up the the story of like you're either ex-gay which i have plenty of that in my world of people who believe that or you are um like you just got to go be affirming and that's the only way you're going to be able to live a fully healthy and happy life Mm. and there's there are thousands of of hundreds of thousands of christians who who experience tension in their sexual orientation who don't buy that narrative right and the less those stories are told the less like the more that it's erased because erasure is a big term is a big term in like queer mm-hmm. uh, uh what's the term activism is don't erase people and like the but they're committing a really vicious form of erasure there by saying these are the only two outcomes that are available to you and that's kind of what honestly, like, I wonder what, what a Julie or or any of those people would have, what their lives would have looked like if they would have known that, hey, actually, what if, like, God didn't make you wrong? And, like, what if, like, God's ideal isn't for you to be heterosexual? What if there's this other option where, like, you get to love and trust and follow Jesus in a totally different, more intimate way than other people? Um, mm. Like, well, if sexuality is the most vulnerable, intimate piece of ourselves – and that's the sm- most difficult piece to surrender over to Jesus. Like, what is the level of intimacy and familiarity with God that we have when we actually are able to
0: do that? Wow. That's, that's a great word right there. Yeah. Yeah, so beware of false dichotomies. So, like, the two options presented was the ex-gay narrative or the fully affirming kind of secular Mm -hmm. sexual ethic you know there there was no room for a a more nuanced christian sexual ethic and that's this is where it comes down to like filmography and and what kind of narrative you know (laughs) because like they, they, they could say well that's not what we were trying to we weren't trying to capture that wasn't our intention we were just trying to capture this this whatever i would still say the whether it was intentional or not the unhelpful byproduct of the narrative they they built um, was the impression that there is no other kind of so-called third option. I hate using third way because that's a whole different thing. With even, even yeah, it means something. That means something else for people yeah. that have ears to hear. But um, yeah, another option that is not ex gay, but is also not um, that, that, that's maintaining an, an orthodox view of of, of sexuality. Um, so, yeah, with the – I've got mixed thoughts on the positive case. Do you remember the guy's name, the ex-trans guy?
1: Yeah.
0: Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Okay. I've yeah. got mixed thoughts about how they portrayed him. I And we've talked offline about this a little bit. I keep kind of going back and forth because was it a positive portrayal or was it a negative portrayal? On the one hand, I did appreciate that – they showed several scenes of him with his, you know, getting ready for the March with all his friends or whatever. And like, they, they seemed happy and they, and part of me was like, yeah, let them be them. Like maybe they didn't change, but whatever. Like they're super stoked on life. Like, and, and I, now as I appreciated that it didn't seem like they, that the film um, bent their happiness in a negative direction, most of the time, I feel like there was some times when and you know music does a lot in in movies, and some of the well music and the placement of scenes is where I would maybe question whether they portrayed them accurately, and for those who have seen the um film might be able to reflect with me on this when they were portraying the kind of ex trans guy and all his ex friends ex ex gay friends um they did they did seem happy but the music to me if i if i remember just seemed extra eerie and those scenes were often or sometimes placed after you're you heard from ex -ex gay people saying this was all a lie it was a sham i lied for 10 years i lied for 20 years i knew i was lying and now i don't have to lie anymore and then they go to a bunch of ex-gay people and they're all happy it's like wait a minute this former scene seemed to seem to say something that was like objective truth. Not just for me, I was lying, but it's a lie. And then it's almost like you can read this other scene through the lens of, Oh, they're just in the middle of that lie. That wasn't explicitly stated, but I think it was at times strongly implied. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that?
1: That's what they wanted us to. Okay. To feel, I guess my, my issue wasn't, or, um, my, compliment wasn't how they how they portrayed him it's just that they didn't pick a a jerk That's more of what i was they they could have gone for low-hanging fruit there Um, and it would have made their point even easier and less nuanced but they they yeah because they again we can go back to and i keep name dropping uh jackie hill perry and david bennett but they can ask these really articulate queer um non-affirming christians like to to talk about their worldviews and why they, they don't embrace a secular sexual ethic. They ask the guy who's gonna use terms like the schools want to get your kids and they want to chop up your kids' genitals. Yeah. And oh, like so yeah. somebody who's not gonna have the most nuanced articulated like the other thing is I want to say this, um, this ties in with Jeffrey, is they they have scenes with like Julie and Michael Bussey talking about how reparative therapy is like really big and large and good today. Um, and like, it's, it's a huge thing. That's how they kind of end the movie. And you go to Jeff, their example of this Jeffries, and he's got like 30 people like at his marches. And it's like, he's, he's freaking out that his Facebook post has 3000 likes and um, what's going on.
0: (laughs) So that, that's of the question is, is it that big? I, I and I, I I hear two different perspectives. I haven't seen the data on it. My thought was after Exodus crumbled, you have a lot of these kind of organizations that are trying to carry the torch in a in a neo kind of ex-gay way. Um, I from my from what I hear, they're really really small. Like I've heard like the Restored Hope meetings are like they're not. This is not like what Exodus used to be, and all the other ones. They're they're not large is is this a big deal in the church or is it not i spend i mean this is probably true for you too the majority
1: of my time with pastors and ministry leaders like that's just the right. pool i swim in out of the dozens of them that i know on a deep level i know one who is even remotely an advocate of conversion therapy and and i use that an advocate as like maybe they don't think it's what needs to happen for everybody, but they think it can be, should be a viable option for people, and so okay. like okay. the rest of them wouldn't in a million years send someone to conversion therapy or or attempt to do that for themselves, like attempt to per- be the therapist in that situation. So that's where I'm confused mm-hmm. because I'm in a pretty conservative denomination, <laughs> so yeah, if I'm not yeah. saying it at all, like I don't think it's that big of a boogeyman. I'm not when it happens, it's tragic and bad, and it, the right. fact that it still happens is a I think a problem, but that doesn't mean that it's still huge and vibrant and thriving, which is I think the exact terms that one of the interviewees said at the end is that it's a thriving
0: movement still. What what about okay, so yeah, and I would agree in, in my circles. I think people would push back on my perspective because I've created a, a ministry that is clearly not that. And so I'm attracting people who would not naturally be into that. So so it's a it's a it's a um. What do sociologists call it. it? It's a. It's it's not a good sample bias. It's a it's a biased sample that I'm going going on, and so I get that. But even if, as I look outside of my my more kind of circles, like to the SBC, even that my friends who would not resonate with the, several things with the center that we're doing, um, they wouldn't advocate for conversion therapy. They would they would, they, they may use some language that is misinterpreted in that direction, but they would not go that route i don't think that the names i'm thinking of um i mean the big names that everybody you know the, the al Moores and those people that they, they would yeah they would have very strong opinions about using the term gay and even they they may even be more like you no know, like change would be good uh but in terms of specific reparative therapy as a counseling whatever i don't think they would i don't know I correct me if i'm wrong i don't i don't think they would be huge fans of that
1: i would say though um I guess to push back on the point that I just made, <laughs> I, I do know a lot of people who aren't ministry leaders who okay. don't see the problem with conversion therapy or like, or, 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 well, I, I mean, I mean, I've shared my, we've talked about this on a podcast before. Me sharing my story publicly has invited a fair yeah. amount of rejection. Well, why, why the heck would that invite rejection? I'm, I'm an Orthodox. I'm married to a woman. I'm committed to my wife. Uh. Unless, what they were wanting and needing to hear was no, this guy needs to say like that he's completely non attracted to people, uh, the same yeah. sex forever. And, um, and so like, so then even people who don't leave, like they, they, they just don't get it. They're like, well, you're married to Kelsey and you love, Kel- and I see you're like, you, I see that you love Kelsey, but like, but you still consider yourself bi or same sex attracted. And that yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. And I'm like, and I, and I would say, like, well, you're still married to your wife. You don't check out girls at the grocery store, or even tempted to, like, at the gym or anything like that. And well, I'm heterosexual. That's how God made me. So, like, the, just like the whole imagination, like, for me, mm. is, is is anemic. So, so,
0: so until huh, people are 100% totally fine with somebody like you or many others who still experience same sex attraction, but are following a traditional sexual ethic. Until people are 100% fine with you being in the highest positions of leadership alongside any straight person who also deals with temptation, as long as there's still a hesitation there, that shows that there is a species of reparative therapy kind of lodged in their worldview. Even if they're not advocating for that kind of therapeutic sessions, they still have the the essence of what's driving that in, in their in their worldview. Is that would that be accurate? I would say 100%. Okay. And I kind of add this real quick.
1: Um, conversion therapy is rooted in a subtle form of the prosperity gospel. It's rooted in this idea of a transactional God where if I do this, God mm-hmm. will honor you. And he has to honor his end of the transaction. So this, whenever you hear somebody saying, I'm claiming it over my life, I'm claiming it, I'm claiming it, like they're letting you know. They like they believe in a God who who's going to make transactions with you, and um, not as not a God who's sovereign, and not even a God who's relational, but like a God who is a store clerk. That I gave my my prayers for this. I'm giving up sexuality. You have to give me heterosexual.
0: Right. Do, do you think because you're you were raised charismatic, you're in charismatic circles? Is it? I, my 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 impression is, especially in like Pentecostal circles, that this is still very huge. Um, it, it, again, maybe more on that kind of populist, popular level, part of their worldview, um, that if you come to Jesus, you can't be gay anymore. They may not have all the nuances of what that even means, but like a gay person getting saved is no longer being gay.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, one of the biggest, most influential Pentecostal churches in America is Bethel School of Supernatural Ministry in Redding, California they have a pretty big X gay ministry over there. Okay,
0: um, that, That's, that was my next question. Yeah, <laughs> what's that? That was my next question. Is is Bethel? Because I know they have. Yeah,
1: yeah, and 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 that was one of the resources that was utilized for me when I was uh. um, was uh, not to name names. Like, and 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 I will say, while it is definitely conversion therapy that's not where I got the, the whipping Christ's body every time you like, have okay. a well yeah. thought. Okay. It was from just, just for anybody. Cause Bethel's kind of cheap
0: shots. It's easy to take shots at them, but yeah. Um,
1: so yeah. yeah
0: and, and is it, is it the well, change movement the ch- is that started with Bethel? And is that a form of prayer therapy or is that kind of not, it's not therapy, right? It's just more of a movement or what's the,
1: yeah, the, I guess with them, it's, it's it's a, it's a supernatural inworking of God changing your desires to where you are being changed from homosexuality to oh. heterosexual.
0: So it's not change so the, and this is another right, this kind of leads into another question I have is just the language of change, transformation. And my interactions, and I hope so those of you who are listening that are advocates of maybe change or Bethel or um, or reparative therapy, it's the language of change and transformation that I think is unhelpful because people will ask me well Preston, don't you believe God can change people it, and it's a it's it's a loaded it's a very loaded question what am I supposed to say no yeah um, but to reduce the complexity and tensions within this issue to don't you believe God can change people I think misses so much. Um, if people are going to use the language of change and transformation, which are biblical concepts and terms, even, you need to be incredibly precise on what exactly you're talking about. Yeah. Um, do I believe God can make a five foot four man six foot four? Yes, absolutely. Is that the typical way in which God acts? N- not really. Or even take, you know, a disability or something, you know, somebody that had his arm lost in an accident. Can God cause that arm to grow back? 100% without blinking an eye, I would say, yes, God has that ability. Is that the way God typically acts? In my anecdotal experience with one-armed people, no, Um, it's not the typical way. So I would map this conversation on that for whatever reason. um, This has not been the typical way in which God has responded in kindness to people who are attracted to the same sex. Most importantly, though, apart from even that, most importantly, is I absolutely, fundamentally, theologically do not think that it is necessary for faithfulness, Mm -hmm. and and that to me, that's the that's where the shame, the God hates me, the self harm, isn't that where it comes in? Is like God is less pleased with me as long as I am still wrestling with this temptation. Yeah, and that, absolutely. to me, is really destructive um, when you either explicitly or implicitly give that impression that until you do not have this temptation anymore, something is still off in your spirituality. And God's still kind of like, well, I mean, I still love you, but, you know, that kind of view of God, which is destructive. Well, and then you get
1: a, you get to the point in the documentary where... You're seeing uh, Exodus International working at the Republican National Convention, and um, the, them being elevated to places of significant influence and authority. And then you start seeing this trend that's as that's really vibrant in the American church, which is like you if you go to a church and like like again Pentecostals like altar calls like, prayers, signs and wonders, like, I am all for that, like, and and I, uh, but there is a version of that that is exploiting people's desperations as a way of gaining your own influence and power, and, like, you see Exodus International clearly doing that, and they're even saying that that's what we were doing, because it was, like, a financially beneficial arrangement, Um, and bringing Joseph Nicolosi in there, and, like, all that kind of stuff, they were helping each other sell products, but, like, this isn't just a if we think that because Exodus International is not around anymore, then the problem's fixed, like I see people do this on the pulpit all the time, like exploit what desperations that people have. Mm-hmm. And we will tell people that like, you know, Jesus is forgiven you, you just need the cross. But like it feels so often that like we what we preach or what we talk about, how are we supposed, not supposed to walk away with the impression that my sin actually is bigger than the cross? Like my sin actually does trump christ's work on the cross mm-hmm. if i feel like i can't go into the presence of god with boldness and confidence like hebrews says like if i feel like i can't do that then i do have a, and this isn't to heap shame on people but there is a belief somewhere in there lodged in my mind or in my soul that says this is bigger than the cross this is bigger than what jesus can do for me mm-hmm. and um anytime you exploit somebody's desperations to to for your own means of influence and power like you're setting yourself
0: up for that that destructive pattern mm-hmm. Wow. That's I I didn't think about that in that way, but that's that's wow. Whew. That's pretty widespread. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 spills over into a whole kind of powered conversation about leadership positions and just being in positions of power and how that intersects with the gospel and, and the Bible and stuff. Um okay, so we we acknowledged well, so how widespread is it? That how widespread is it? The the film made it out to be this is like it almost made it out to be it's like growing even more, which it seems like as a kind of therapy, if you go back to the Exodus International Heyday to now, I just can't unless I mean show me a study or something. I, I just it doesn't seem like it's as widespread and predominant as it was 15 years ago. Um but you but the but the question mark I had that we both have is what about I'll just as, as a piece of the popular mindset among a lot of Christians. Um, uh, oh, going back to Jeffrey, I keep forgetting his name, Jeffrey, the ex-trans guy. I, I, so here in this, this deals with one of my biggest critiques is the opening line. <laughs> I, I started watching the film. I'm like, I'm two seconds oh in and I have massive problems with how they're framing this, but it would, it's, common is the correlation between sexual orientation change efforts and gender identity change efforts. These are two very, very different things. And if anybody's interested, I'm doing a long blog series addressing the many differences between sexual orientation change efforts and so-called, I'll use that phrase, uh, gender identity change efforts. And, you know, they have the two lines, you know, this is, this is, um, they define Sexual orientation and gender identity change, which their definition applies to sexual orientation change, not gender identity change. Um, and then they say every major medical industry has deemed this harmful or whatever. And again, that applies to sexual orientation change efforts, not so-called <laughs> gender identity. What's gender identity change? Well, that's a massive conversation. Um, I mean you have a, the example they give is a biological male who used to identify as female and then he came to the realization he's actually male. That's that's different than that's somebody actually being attracted to the same sex. Factually ontologically they are that yeah. and trying to change them into something that they aren't. For good or for ill, whatever but that that's on just just Categorically, that is different than um, so-called gender identity. You know, one person's gender identity change efforts is another person's helping somebody to live in their body without having significant dysphoria over the the biological sex that they factually are. Would be another. Again, I'm not even saying I'm gonna. F- I don't advise that kind of language for pastoral <laughs> care, but I'm saying just conceptually, these are. V- the, the, the LGB is very different than, than the T, and gender dysphoria is very different than sexual orientation. Um, so when people collapse those together, it's very unhelpful. So that, that's why I thought it was fascinating and almost unhelpful when they use an, a so-called ex-trans person as the, the kind of representative of somebody who's still in this ex, so-called ex-gay movement. Um, no, he did. He did bring in the fact that he's also cis, was <laughs> same sex attracted. I think he probably said homosexual or whatever. But um, yeah. Anyway, I, I didn't think that it's it, it's not surprising, but I just think it's once again unhelpful to kind of collapse all these things together. But anyway, did you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I, I thought of you when I saw that. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was
1: like, and I agree. I mean, I agree with your assessment. But like when I when I saw that, I was like, the press is not going to like that. <laughs> they complained. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it's. it's so I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, like, you do such a good job at embodied uh, framing the question that, like, as the crux of the book is, like, if somebody experiences an incongruence between their, what did you say, physical sense of self and emotional sense of self? Their
0: uh, internal sense of self and their biological sex. Like, if a biological, so if you want to frame it in just raw scientific categories, if a biological male has an internal sense of themselves as not male, or there's some incongruence, tension with the fact that they are biologically male, then which one are they? Does their internal sense of who they are, is that more indicative of personhood? If so, then we should move that person, help that person align whatever it is that's incongruent with their internal sense of self. Or if their biological sex is a is more indicative of who they are as a human person, then we should help accept that reality. And again, I'm trying to frame it in the most neutral way. Obviously, I have a view of which direction um, is more correct for, lack of better terms. Um, but, but I. I, I, gonna, I think at least I want to help people at least frame the conversation, what it actually is, rather than using language adopted from conversion therapy and, and X gay stuff and mapping that on the trans conversation. Nobody has helped. Nobody has helped when we do that. that that's my biggest.
1: Well, I was going to ask, like, can you even because that is to me, that is such a helpful way to frame the conversation. Um, and I don't even know if can, you can't. I don't think you can correlate that to the sexuality conversation. Like if somebody yeah. has male parts, but they're attracted to people with male parts, like that not even, like it doesn't, there's no way to, to transfer that. So right. even and, trying to help people, it, it just yeah. becomes a misnomer there.
0: And, and the loudest voices who are echoing my concern are secular gay men <laughs> and women, but more, I would say more, more men. Uh, J- James Cantor, one of the leading sexologists, who's not religious, not conservative, he's gay. Um, he's the one who's been writing furiously on, on this correlation because you have the hot, very, very high up organization. So the, 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 the opening line of the documentary is true that virtually every organization not only correlates these two things, sexual orientation and gender identity, um, um, but they say that, you know, it, the whole thing is harmful. And James, and so the American... Academy of Pediatrics came out with a statement showing the harm of gender identity change efforts. And James Cantor, a gay man, wrote a scathing critique of this saying, every citation you're giving here is of sexual orientation change efforts. And you're using those studies to condemn so-called gender identity change efforts when there's all kinds of therapeutic differences between somebody dealing with gender dysphoria and somebody experiencing same sex attraction. And he, it it, it was embarrassing. I read both the statement and his scathing article and I'm like, wow, how did this get through the editorial? Like, (laughs) because the stuff he was saying was like citing this study, sexual orientation, not gender identity, this study, this study, and the whole, it was just so sloppy. It's like, how can professionals get away with this? Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of gay men this is one of my blogs that's coming out this week I think um they're saying okay w- here's what we know eighty percent of children with gender dysphoria ends up going away through puberty we also know that an overwhelming majority of them will end up being gay so if a if a biological male has gender dysphoria for eighty percent that will go away and they will but it will almost always end up being a gay male. Mm. If we set that person on a path toward biological change, that is closer to sexual orientation change efforts. Because you're taking a gay, what's gonna be a gay man and turning him into a heterosexual female because he mm-hmm. doesn't match the in their view, the gender stereotypes of what masculinity is. So this is why a lot of gay men especially are saying, this is triggering me. Like, this is seems like a weird, almost worse Orwellian version of conversion therapy, and you guys are saying the opposite of that is conversion therapy. Like, it's a whole language game. Uh, Andrew Sullivan, one of the main gay activists from the 80s and 90s, he's the one who said, this is conversion therapy all over again, only it's more invasive because you're actually... Performing irreversible surgeries. This is almost like lobotomies from a hundred years ago. The old old school, you know, conversion therapy. It's and again, I'm not I'm not even saying that all of these critiques are legit. Some of them are a little kind of over the top or whatever, but it's just interesting that when you map these two together, it's like wait, there's a much more complex conversation that needs to happen here and yeah, it's so anyway, yeah, I, I was a little turned off by the film in the first three seconds when they did that. <laughs> Can I throw a couple of questions your
1: way real quick? Yes, yes, yeah. How did you feel when uh What's his face started his talk off by talking about the importance of grace and truth?
0: Oh I know. Gosh, I was like, <laughs> Well, um, yeah. <laughs> I don't that that was uh, Ricky, right? Ricky Shillette. Yeah. I don't even know. I've heard of the name, so I don't know much about him. So I don't know. Um, are they representing him correctly? I mean, Julie obviously had that story she shared about Ricky encouraging her to share her rape story when she wasn't ready. That was, that was bad. Um, but I always raise a question like, is that an accurate portrayal of him? So I don't, I can't really say anything about him in particular. I will say that that, that is a pretty generic way of framing things that I have adopted other people adopt the grace truth thing functionally or practically, we might end up saying quite different things. Cause I don't know what Christian is going to say. Well, there's might be a few what Christian isn't going to verbally say, we need to have both grace and truth in the sexuality conversation. I think most would sign off on that, but what that looks like might be very different. So that that's where I was like, ah, it's, it's, it's hurt. It's not hurtful. It, it, when people see that framed in that way, in the documentary, and then when they hear me say grace and truth, they're It's easy for them to map all of that on kind of what I'm doing. And people have said that, like you're just doing reparative therapy, which is weird, but you know, you cover it up with this grace method message, but it's not real or I don't know. Um, Yeah.
1: My question is, um, (laughs) and I think you've talked about this on the show before, but I, I don't remember what you said. Um, When you, what do you do when you have someone like a John Polk or Michael Bussey who gets married and realizes it doesn't make them straight?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And I'm not sure I have a, a tailored answer. Um, are you saying they were under the impression that getting married would make them straight? Yeah. So, I would, um, so that's I would hundred percent disagree with that. That getting married will make you straight. So I would say that's really sad and, and unfortunate that the person was under that impression. So I, I would help them maybe deal with that. I'm not a psychologist. Okay? <laughs> I, I, I would help them. We, you know, to understand that. I, I'm so sorry, but you were you were fed a, a wrongheaded message that this is going to make you straight. And the underlying assumption, again, is that straightness is more holy than non-straightness, which, can I get a shout out from all those straight people out there who struggle with porn and, and, and lust and, and you know, it's like, <laughs> like my friend Greg Cole says, why, why do people think that if I become straight, he's gay, it's going to make me more holy? Like, there's a lot of straight. Sexual struggles. Am I just giving up one struggle for another? Like you know. um, So yeah, I I I think it's a wrong view of straightness. I think it's a wrong transactional message that they were fed. It's also a wrong view of well, not wrong. It's just a very very modern Western view of marriage that has elevated even sexual attraction far above what is necessary for living out the vocation of marriage we, we've made marriage we did i mean this is what 150 years old on, on the scene of human history that has always had marriage as of like 150 years ago we made marriage primarily about so-called falling in love and romance and everything um that's that's a very modern very new western view of framing marriage I'm not saying that those things don't exist, can't exist, shouldn't exist. I'm saying to make that the main thing. Like if I, if someone says to me, Hey, I'm getting married. And if I say, why, <laughs> what are they going to say? Cause I'm in love. <laughs> They're in love. Yeah. She's got a great butt and a uh, good job. And we love it. Like they have these euphoric chemical, chemical reaction when I'm around her, you know, the falling in love feeling, um, and not if, but when I think scientists say it's that those last about 18 to 24 months, your body can't sustain that kind of those chemicals going on in your brain. that give you that feeling when you're around the person, if you think that that's the glue that's going to hold your marriage together, um, there has to be something deeper, more profound, something that does go deeper and beyond simply sexual attraction, romantic feelings and stuff. Um, I sound so stoic when I say that, but <laughs> again, I'm, I'm not saying those are bad things. I'm just saying those can't be the fundamental things, which is why yeah. in the it's the divorce rates are a, I don't know how much higher, but I mean, they're, since we have made those the fundamental things about marriage, the divorce rate has been off the chart compared to historical marriages and, and not, not to praise every other historical form of marriage. Cause those have bad problems too. I, every, every kind of ex- cultural expression of marriage has had its own pros and cons, but let's not think that um, falling in love and romantic attraction is kind of the intrinsic thing that marriage is the way, you know, uh, across the board. So where am I going with this? Sorry, I'm, I'm talking too much, Tony. Um, <laughs> To answer your question, I would want to help the person have a better understanding of what marriage is and what it is for. One that push puts the potential of sexual attraction in its proper place is how yeah. how I would frame it. For, for and I don't care what your orientation. Like I would say that to anybody, regardless of orientation. Yeah,
1: that's um, good. I, I would I would add to it that like we there's an assumption there that if you get married and you realize it didn't make you straight, that divorcing and marrying someone of the same sex will satisfy all your longings and desires. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't really, our culture doesn't really have room for uh, what Carl Ranner said, like when he said, in this life all symphonies remain unfinished. Like we don't have a category for that. Yeah, There's always gonna be a little ache for more. We're always gonna want more than what we have and our sense of satisfaction will always be greater than our sense of gratitude or sorry, our sense of satisfaction will never be as great as our longings. And so mm-hmm. I think because we live in such a consumeristic culture, we're programmed to believe from the beginning. We can actually get everything we want and we can actually get every longing satisfied here and now. And I just don't think that's possible. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the the real task isn't how do I become heterosexual, mm-hmm. but the real task is how do I learn to live with unmet longings how do i learn to live with with unfulfilled desires because no matter what you do no matter who you sleep with or no matter like what you do to your marriage or what belief system you have you're always going to have
0: unfulfilled desires that's that is so good and honestly it's my friends like yourself who are in so-called mixed orientation marriages and they've and they have healthy marriages um cuz most well most marriages uh, you know have a degree of unhealthiness there but it's it's people like yourself and several other friends of ours some mutual who have taught me that more than anything living with can i even frame it in almost like a piperish sort of way like the 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 joy of living with unfulfilled desires <laughs> and i and i really mean that I and mean, i just think in my own like, uh, when i have lived it's like fasting um, or living when you have financial, um, when you're not padded financially, when, when you're, you know, um, when you're living a more simple life, um, when you're eating not, you know, uh, luxurious, heavy, rich foods, which bring momentary pleasure, but over time just weigh you down. And, and when you're eating and I'm, I'm convicting myself cause I'm, got it a lunch engagement today and, and I'm, I'm going to a place that has amazing wings and I'm probably gonna eat too much, but, and they have a good <laughs> beer too, which does go great hand in hand and did destroy you later. But, um, uh, you, you know what I mean? Like when you live the luxurious life, it doesn't that deep seated happiness. I don't know. Like it, I, I haven't, ex- I, I've experienced more happiness when my life is more simple, when there is, when there is, Unmet desires, it's just, it's just what you're saying. When, when there's desires that I want to – cravings that I want to meet and that when they go unmet, it's hard in the moment, long term. And obviously, I feel like I'm flourishing more as a human. Is that – I don't know. Totally.
1: Well, and everything in culture is designed to exploit your desires. Um, and this goes back to what I was talking about at the church where we exploit people's desperations We've appropriated culture in doing that rather than contradicting culture by teaching us how to live with, with unmet desires. And, um, yeah. So, mm. and, I, I, and I, and it is a, I'm not there. I mean, it's, it's a long, you're literally undoing your entire existence way of taking in information because that is the American dream mm-hmm. is consuming.
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, we got to wrap this up, bro. I yep. can keep talking to <laughs> for hours. Um, I forgot we were recording. I thought we were just hanging out.
1: <laughs> um, I I do want to say I about Bethel real quick. Um, yeah. I haven't reached I haven't researched Bethel in a few years, so their stance on this stuff could okay. be different than what it was a couple of years ago. And I just wanted to get that out there. Also, it's possible to participate in conversion therapy without calling it that or realizing that's what you're doing. I think if you oh. went back and asked the people I was meeting with, um. They probably wouldn't have said at the time, like, no, that wasn't conversion therapy. That was just healing and, and all that kind of stuff because conversion therapy is such a loaded yeah. um, negative yeah. term nowadays. Mm-hmm. So it's it's important to – this just further illustrates the point that it's important that we kind of pave a, an imagination for LGBTQ Christians, LGBTQ Christians who um, who are clinging to orthodoxy and that, that maybe that's where our efforts need mm-hmm. to be pushed, pushed more towards rather than
0: this yeah. other stuff, you know, and I feel compelled to say a word here because um, I keep hearing this from several friends of mine who would be so-called side B, the you know, same-sex attracted and living according to a historically Christian view of marriage and sexuality. Um, I often ask them, like, would you like what would it what would it take for you to go side A, like to to be affirming, because like, I lots of I know lots of people. Once a week, I probably hear of a story where somebody who was, you know, was side B, was living according to traditional sexual ethic that changed their view to affirming. And I would say at least 90 to 90% of the time, when I had the opportunity to ask for their reasoning, it's almost verbatim. I cannot take the conservative church environment anymore. Yeah, I'm in, 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 I even asked friends of mine who are still very much committed to the orthodox sexual ethic, and I, we kind of explore like, what would it, like, does that resonate with you? They said, 100%, 100%, as long as I am still treated implicitly, usually, like a second class citizen, as long as I'm still being policed with what terms I use to describe my sexual orientation, as long as I'm looked at with suspicion, as long as I'm not qualified for leadership positions, even though I'm qualified for leadership positions. Um, I'm thinking of someone like, you know, Greg Johnson, who I had on the podcast a few, a couple months ago, who is the most sexually pure human I've personally ever met. Um, He's never touched. He's never held hands with another person that he's attracted to. Um, He has his vigilant about, I don't think he's ever, I don't want to quote him on this, but struggled with, porn or whatever like he's vigilant about making sure his screen is 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 clean he has accountability partners he's I mean this guy and he's like 49 or something and this has been his and for people and this is going on the PCA like like there's it's possible that he may be unqualified for ministry. That, That infuriates me that if it infuriates me I can only imagine other people who are trying to, to live out this sexual ethic that's hard enough in itself, let alone to have this kind of church culture, I, um, we as so-called conservative, I hate that term, <laughs> those who embrace a traditional sexual ethic as Christians if if we don't make some serious changes to our church culture that can, that need, that stops doing that we are responsible we are playing a role in pushing gay or ASSA people toward an affirming theology i'm not saying they don't own that i'm not saying they don't have agency i'm not saying that that's right i'm just saying that certain cultures are are nurturing that journey and, and Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's discouraging when I hear people say they're passionate about the theology, but then they're doing things that are actually pushing people away from that theology.
1: Absolutely. I resonate with everything you just said. (laughs) Nothing bad that would be helpful at this point. That, that touches deep. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Anything else with the movie before we go? Did we cut touch? uh, I think I covered, um...
1: I I, I think so. I do want to, I want to, as we're closing up, um, thanks for taking a break from talking about critical race theory to have this (laughs) conversation with me. (laughs) I do want to say, um, publicly, uh, I so appreciate the way you handle most discussions, but especially kind of shift gears, the the race discussion. Um, it has been a breath of fresh air, dude. So Hmm. I, I appreciate I don't know any other podcast where I'm going to get, Genuinely, the other person's perspective, um, uh, especially—I hate to say this—but especially a Christian podcast. So, huh. um, keep up what you Thank do. You. It's important, and, and uh,
0: yeah, appreciate you a lot, man. Appreciate that. That's a scary. Uh, yeah, yeah, the race conversation. I just people say, "Where are you at on it?" I don't know where you're at. I'm like, ask me in ten years after I've read a hundred books and talked to a thousand people. Like, I don't. It's it's the only thing I can say is it is way more complex. Than people make it out to be. And if the only thing Christians have said about race is we need to stand up against CRT, then you've you've already missed it. <laughs> Where have you been <laughs> the last several decades? You know, if that if that's your public contribution to the race conversation is anti CRT, then um virtually every black person is rolling their eyes saying you're still not you still aren't getting it. <laughs> Not, not that you shouldn't be anti. I'm not even saying be pro sir. I'm just saying like at least acknowledge how tone deaf that is. That you, we've been silent on this for so long, and if now we're being public, that that just it's unhelpful. <laughs> yeah. All right. I gotta go. I gotta go do some stuff here. Yeah. Love you, bro. Great talking to you. Uh, great thoughts. Yeah, as always.